0: Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord God, you are merciful and tender hearted, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to us in our anguish over sin and hear our cry for mercy, that we may be at peace through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, Neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powerful forces, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our second lesson, we get to see the culmination of what was going on with Joseph as God put him in a position to prepare for the coming famine that he would use to bring the other 11 brothers down out of Canaan so that they could grow into a nation not under the influence of the filthy, filthy worship practices of the Canaanites. So we see the outcome of it, but have you ever put yourself in Joseph's shoes and thought about it? He's tattletaling on his brothers, which he shouldn't have been doing, but... His brothers were doing things that jeopardized even the, the coming promise building of nations and the coming Savior. What thanks does he get for it? They plot to kill him. Judah and Reuben don't want to kill him. Neither one of them knows the others trying to hinder it. But in the long run, Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt. Probably at that point in time, he felt pretty disheartened, ground under the boot heel of God. But God took care of him. He gets purchased by Potiphar and and, and he ends up the head of Potiphar's household because God blesses him with wisdom. And whatever he's in charge of, he does really good with it. Then Potiphar's wife says, come to bed with me. Joseph knows that adultery is wrong. He knows this is a sin against God. So he does what a noble man would do. He runs, he flees temptation. And what thanks does he get for it? At this time in Egypt... The punishment for a slave lying with his master's wife was death. He doesn't get put to death, so Potiphar must not have completely bought his wife's story. He ends up in a dungeon. Oh, but in the dungeon, even as an inmate, he becomes the warden's right-hand man, and he entrusts the upkeep of the prison or the running of the prison to Joseph. But he's still in a dungeon. And when some men from, from Pharaoh's household are put in the dungeon, and they have dreams, and he interprets them. One's going to die, the other's going to be restored. He says, remember me. But they forget. And it's sometime later, finally, when Pharaoh has his dream of the, of the what would turn out to be seven years of prosperity, followed by seven years of plague, that finally the man remembers. It was miserable for him up until that time, brothers and sisters in Christ. God was providing, in a really big picture, and let's not kid ourselves, he would use a famine to get the other 11 brothers and transfer that family down to Egypt because those brothers were running after the Canaanites and following their ways. It was going to pollute them from worshiping the true God. God works through crosses, brothers and sisters in Christ. And in today's text, we see that while enduring hardship, always say... Surely I am saved. We're told, and it's interesting in in the Greek that the language that the Apostle Paul originally wrote the letter in, it's a very clear word for really separating off, like cutting off and throwing away. He says, literally, who, not what, who then will sever us away from Christ's love? Christ died for you. Christ won you. He purchased you to be his brother and sister, not to be a slave. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, before they said, let there be light, planned for you to be saved. There's only one thing that keeps you from being saved, and that is you. See, God brings us into his grace, his Holy Spirit enters our heart through the message. We can let something have a place in our heart equal to or greater than God and drive the Holy Spirit out of our heart. Lose faith. But those things that Paul is going to go through, those are the things we would think would make us lose faith. And if we're going to embrace the world, then that will happen. But this whole letter is saying nothing's going to sever us away from that. And he goes through those things. But remember, you're saved. The only thing that can screw up your salvation is your outright rejecting of God, rejecting your salvation. And so he says, will trouble that causes suffering... Or difficult circumstances, or persecution, or hunger, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Now it's very interesting that the first two words that the Apostle Paul uses, the very first one is a picture of being pressed down. And doesn't life press us down? God subjected the world to decay, and we feel its pressures. There are all kinds of pressures on us. Pressure, if you don't perform, you're going to lose your job. Pressure, if you don't pay this bill, you're going to lose your house. Pressure, that if this illness comes, you're going to be really sick. Pressing down, pressing down, pressing down. And certainly Joseph felt pressed down when he ran from Pharaoh's wife. The second word that he uses is one you find like in the adventure movies like Indiana Jones where the guys in the, in the booby-trapped room and the walls start closing in to squeeze them together. Have you ever had that in life? Feeling like whether you turn to the left or to the right, your options mean you're going to get squeezed? This world is full of pressures like that. And if we take our eyes off the prize and think that it's all about simply providing for our bodily needs, we're going to really feel those pressures. We may turn around and say, God, why are you doing this to me? Maybe Joseph was tempted to do that. You know, Job, Job, who was squeezed like a grape by the devil, God said you could do everything but take his life. But God would not let his Holy Spirit depart from Job's heart. And Job's sin is saying, I just want to know why, why is God doing this to me? And God's answer is, you can't handle the why, you're not all-knowing. Joseph probably thought that many times as he rotted away in that dungeon. Why, God, why are you doing this to me? But when all was clear, oh, to save my entire family and to grow my family into a nation under the influence of a nation that is not the perverts that the Canaanites and the Moabites are. God does allow things to squeeze in on us. Today we focus on his providence. And isn't it funny how we often think about that? Paul mentions nakedness. When you are so hard up that you don't even have a shirt on your back. God allows things to come upon us and we feel squeezed like a grape. Press down and press in. Just like we're going through the wine press. And let's admit it, brothers and sisters in Christ. It stinks. It's miserable. It is not fun. And it's not just in bodily needs that the Lord can squeeze upon us. We want to be very careful how we understand. I like to make a distinction. I like to use the word punishment for sin. Christ was punished for our sins on the cross. Our sins are paid for. I like to use the word discipline, though, when God allows us to suffer the consequences of our sin. I'll give you a couple of examples. One wrong example. Somebody gets cancer in their throat, they never were a smoke or anything else like that, and they think it's a punishment because of something they did 20 years earlier. No, God punished Christ on the cross. Somebody is very sexually active and promiscuous, and they get one of those deadly STDs, and they repent of their sin, but God does not heal them of the STD. That is a consequence of their sin, and God actually used it for their good to return them to repentance. When God allows the world to press in and squeeze down on you, to squeeze you like a grape, remember, you're saved. Like Joseph, he's using it for your good and the good of others. Sometimes, like Joseph, we can see what that good is in our life. Other times, maybe we don't realize it until we get to heaven. Maybe when we get to heaven, we're not going to care because thanks to our crosses, God has used them to keep us depending on him. Now, so far I've talked about things like when we worry about our food and our housing or relationships or, or things like that, but don't, let's not forget that the word persecution was mentioned there. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in communist countries like China, when Christians want to study the word of God in its truth and purity, they find their property confiscated. They find themselves in jail. In Islamic countries... Best case scenario, you have to cowtail to it and be very careful what you say. Worst case scenario, they simply cut your head off or shoot you. It does happen. In America, we have freedom of religion, but that is a freedom that we feel being squeezed away from us. Political correctness, and, and we're afraid to speak up at work to, to witness our faith at times for fear that we'll lose our jobs. Even in America, it has its way of coming at us. But the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is telling you none of these things are going to separate you from God. Yes, God does use hardship in your life. Always say, surely I am saved so that you can be confident he's using those things for your good and the good of your neighbor. And when they have accomplished their purpose, he will lift those things. Now, God has promised he's not going to let you starve to death unless that's the way he's going to call you to heaven. That changes everything. You can top my head off for refusing to deny my Lord. I get to go to heaven. You've done me a favor. You can resent me for being a Christian. This life is temporary. It always puts it in perspective when we keep our eyes focused on the outcome. Eternity with the glorified body. in the presence of our holy, wonderful, loving Lord. So he says in verse 36, just as, as it has been written on account of you. We keep on being killed all day long. We are considered as sheep for slaughter. If you had attended our Isaiah Bible study, you know that there were lots of believers that suffered the Babylonian exile along with the rest of the nation who had rejected their Lord. Believers like Daniel. And some of those believers were put to death. And even before the Babylonian exile, in the time of Judges, when God used the Moabites and the Philistines and the Ammonites, they went after the Israelites because they didn't like their God. And the faithful believers suffered along with the unfaithful, the unbelievers as well. But you notice who it makes? It says, be on account of you. And he's talking to God, the psalmist, when he says those words. God is not the cause of evil. God uses evil plans in our lives. He allows them to squeeze us, but he allows them to squeeze us for our good. He turns them into our good. Kind of a strange thing, isn't it? When hard times come upon you to stop and say, what good does God have in mind for me in this? Why has God allowed this? And you can view it that way because you are saved. And that's what the apostle says next in verse 37. However, in the midst of these things, we continue completely conquering through the one who loved us. Who conquered? Jesus. He conquered sin, death, and the devil 2,000 years ago on the cross for you. And that's why you can say, surely I am saved. And so long as you are saved, you can be confident that in all these things, Christ's victory is your victory. That yes, while suffering hardships, this is your confidence. God is using it for your good. Jesus has conquered. Sometimes we don't want to see things like discipline as for our good, but it is God keeping us in our faith. And lots of times God squeezes others, unbelievers, he allows hardships to come upon them so that they see they need him to prepare their hearts to receive his love and forgiveness. Christ's victory is your victory. This helps us to to sustain the hardships. If I'm saved, then God's using it for my good. And meanwhile, I will keep my eyes on what Christ conquered and won for me, the eternal paradise that he's assured me is mine. And so the apostle says in verse 38, Indeed, I remain convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or nor rulers, neither things that are already before us or things that are going to happen, neither powerful forces, neither great height nor extreme depth or any other thing in creation will be able to sever us away from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ's victory means he has united you to him and it's going to stay that way. <coughs> Only you can say, I reject you. And if you worry about that, you're okay. God says, I predestined you, I will keep you. Stay in my word. It's that simple. But look at that list. Neither death nor life. Death means you go to heaven. Doesn't mean we become suicidal. Life means we get to glorify God until he calls us to heaven. Neither angels nor rulers. When the devil led his rebellion, the angels that the, the didn't rebel were made so that they couldn't sin. But even if an angel were to come, and it's impossible, they can't do that. There are angels that are more powerful than the devil. The archangel Michael, for example. But the demons and the devil, they are fallen angels. And they are more powerful than you and I. We could not stand up to them, but Christ has conquered them. His victory is yours. The devil can throw his worst at you. He did with Job. God kept his Holy Spirit in Job's heart. The devil used everything he could with Joseph. God preserved Joseph and used that hardship not only to preserve Joseph and his family, but to turn that family into a nation of millions. Neither powerful forces, neither great height, nor extreme depth, nor things in creation. All those things. One of the things that I find very interesting is the word things that are already before us and things that will come. See, this is where I tend to have the problem because I tend to recognize patterns, I guess. In the past, this happened, and and I recognize now in the future how it can go from bad to worse. So when something is before me, I'm facing a problem. Ah, great. Here's the next medical problem. Here's the next financial crisis in this life. Here's the next spiritual problem. We tend to worry. Worry about what could, what might, what according to the laws of nature should even happen. God says, don't worry about it. I've conquered He could feed 5,000 men in our gospel lesson. The women and children weren't counted. There's a lot of people to count that day. And he can certainly, even when it seems like we're being squished, smashed down from a top and squeezed in by the walls, he can certainly, in miraculous ways, right underneath our noses, resolve those problems for us. That often amazes me, the things that I worry about the most, the things I lose the most sleep about because of what's before me. I see the impending crisis always turn out to be the things that I didn't need to lose an ounce bit of sleep for. God resolves those the easiest, takes care of them. says, so why did you worry? I had you in my hands. Why? Because of his love in Christ Jesus. It's only in Christ Jesus Christ purchased and won you. And so, again, while enduring hardship, always say, surely I'm saved. What does that mean? Christ has already purchased and won me. So no matter what, I know this is for my Good. And I know no matter what happens in the long run, I get heaven. I get the new heavens and the new earth. I get the glorified body. This is small potatoes. Surely I am saved and I can be confident, therefore, that God is using it for my good. You can say that. So while enduring hardship, always say, surely I am saved. Praise be to our Lord. Amen. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless in the presence of his glory, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all time now and to all eternity. Amen.